Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology. We learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. I'll be helping you recognize how self-blackmail may permeate your life. I'll also be interviewing life coach Dr. Patrick Williams, who shares his latest book, Getting Naked, on being emotionally transparent at the right time, the right place, with the right person. This is a powerful book that I'm sure will help you live a life as the fullest, most authentic version of you. You all know me as a psychotherapist, but some of you may not yet know me as a composer. I currently have two albums which have been released. Think of both albums like books. Each composition is written like a chapter in a book. The first album, Consolation, explores a character's grief and loss. And just like in any book, the story explores a character's heartache and eventually he finds healing and hope. The second album, Restoration, explores a character's personal development. He has an awakening, and in that awakening, he recognizes all the things in his life which aren't healthy, and it helps him come to a place of restoration, being restored to something greater than before. You may purchase both albums on iTunes or any other digital music store. The names of the albums are Consolation and Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you're currently hearing is from the second album, Restoration, entitled Awakening. Once upon a time, Sammy and his sister Marie visited their grandparents at their farm. Sammy picked up a slingshot to play with out in the woods. He practiced all day, but he could never hit the target. Getting a little discouraged, he headed back for lunch. As he was walking back, he saw Grandma's pet duck. Just out of impulse, he let the slingshot fly, which unfortunately hit the duck square in the head and killed it. He was shocked and grieved. In a panic, he hid the dead duck in the pile of woods. Sammy turned around and saw that his sister had seen everything. After lunch, the next day, Grandma said, Marie, let's wash the dishes. Marie said, but Grandma, Sammy told me he wanted to help in the kitchen. Then she whispered to Sammy, remember the duck? Sammy got nervous knowing his sister knew about the duck, and if he didn't obey, she may tell his grandparents about it. So without saying anything, he did the dishes. Later that day, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing, but Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Marie to help make supper. Marie just smiled and said, well, that's all right, because Sammy told me he wanted to help. She whispered again to Sammy, remember the duck. So Marie went fishing, and Sammy stayed to help. After several days of Marie taking advantage of Sammy, he finally couldn't stand it any longer. He came to his grandma and confessed that he had killed the duck. Grandma knelt down, gave him a huge hug, and said, sweetheart, I know, I was standing at the window, and I saw the whole thing, but because I love you, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you would let Marie take advantage of you. Self-blackmail and the importance of vulnerability. We've all seen those movies where a person does something where they don't want anybody to know about it. And then unfortunately somebody finds out about it and then they blackmail the person. They either tell them to do a certain thing or that they will reveal their secret to the world or they blackmail them with finances saying that they have to pay a certain amount of money and if they don't do it, then the world will find out what they've done. But what we don't realize is we actually do that to ourselves. So many times we do things that we're not proud of, and that may be in our past, or that could even be something that happened even today. When those situations happen, we immediately tell ourselves we can't tell anybody about this, because if we do, then they're going to judge us or they're going to think differently about us. And when we do that, we really trap ourselves or really hold ourselves hostage, because often we think about that event and think that if anybody were to find out, 
then we would lose friends, we would lose their respect, and we would lose multiple things. But on the flip side, we lose our sense of self-confidence. So it's so important for us to stop and think about that. When you think back on certain things, and some of these events may have been really traumatic and perhaps even really embarrassing, but other events may not have been so embarrassing, but we automatically use that same version of self-blackmail and we hold all these secrets inside of us. So when you reflect on this right now, as you hear me talking about this, what are some of those events that maybe you've told yourself that you can't tell anybody about? And when you realize what those things are, you really want to ask yourself, well, if I were to tell someone that I really trust or someone that really cares about me, you might be surprised that their reaction is not what you think. Most people who really care about us and who really love us will demonstrate compassion, will demonstrate love, will demonstrate forgiveness and won't judge us for what we've done. Think of this another way. If you hear somebody tell you something over and over and over again, you're going to believe it, correct? Well, it's the same type of thing. When you tell yourself you can't tell anybody or you kind of process the event in your mind, you have the same perception or you have the same thoughts that go over and over and over again, and you're going to believe it. So just like if someone were to tell you you're really smart or you're really attractive, or conversely, you're told that you're dumb, that you'll never amount to anything, you're going to believe it. So with that same concept, when you tell yourself over and over that you can't tell anybody or you relive that same version of what you've done over and over again, you're not going to have a different perspective. And it's very unlikely that you'll be able to get over that yourself. So the self-blackmail that you have, it's really causing you not to be able to reach your highest potential. Being vulnerable to those people who won't judge you and that love you is going to set you free. My guest today, Dr. Patrick Williams, is going to discuss this in his book, but I wanted to give you kind of a prequel version of what self-blackmail is. And when you hear his interview today, it will make sense how self-blackmail might be what's stopping you from being vulnerable to those people that really care about you. Today is a day for you to stop that self-blackmail, to give yourself the freedom to express yourself in a healthy way. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the academy entitled Spirit, Mind, Body, The Perfect Triad. This non-religious course helps you understand how your intuition, or rather your gut, your logic, and your body all work together to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Enroll in the class today. My guest today is psychologist and life coach, Dr. Patrick Williams. He is going to share many key elements of his new book, Getting Naked, on being emotionally transparent at the right time, the right place, with the right person. Welcome to my show, Dr. Williams. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Yes, it's such a pleasure. I was really excited uh, when I was re reviewing the information you had sent me. I thought this is a wonderful book that I think many of my listeners would really benefit from. So I'm looking forward to hearing about the key components of this and kind of how it came about and all the different lessons that this particular book can help my listeners with. So thank you once again for being a guest today. You're very welcome. One of the big questions I get in my field is what is the difference between a life coach and a psychologist? So why don't you enlighten us on that? Well, that has been a topic for <laughs> many years because they're real quick history. So I'm, I'm no longer a licensed psychologist uh -huh. because I moved from Colorado to Florida and I finally just gave that up. I've been coaching for 22 years now, oh, wow. but I was a clinical psychologist for 20 years and always was more interested in the positive aspect. And mm -hmm. in my, in my age, I got my degrees in humanistic and transpersonal psychology. So I saw now, that, which is very interesting. Yeah, we can talk yeah, about that not, offline because it's yeah, not the Freudian. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was always interested in working with people to just kind of get over themselves, mm -hmm. learn, learn to develop the life. Um, I, I did work with a lot of difficult uh, situations in my psychology, but I always appreciated coaching more started coaching in the executive arena. And then coaching started getting popular in the early nineties. And I could kind of see around the corner, as you say. Sure. Um, 
I could see that this was going to grow, that more professionals were going to be attracted to it. And I actually am called the ambassador of life coaching laughingly. Um, <laughs> but although, although I would love to find an embassy in the Caribbean islands. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but I, uh, I helped start the International Coach Federation in 1995, one of the founding members. Um, 187 of us showed up at that first conference. Now there's 28,000 members in 140 wow. countries. That's amazing. I, my first book pertains to the question you just asked, Therapist as Life Coach, mm-hmm. Transforming Your Practice. I was writing that for people in the therapy field who wanted to expand their practice or even move into a coaching paradigm. And the distinctions were out there in the field. They're saying, well, a therapist works with the past and brings you to the present, and a coach works with the present and moves you to the future. That wasn't quite true because solution-oriented therapists work toward a future of a sense. Mm-hmm. And they work with positivity. But here's the, here's the difference in the simplest terms. Both professions may use very similar skill sets and techniques of rapport and listening and confidentiality and asking the, question thought, asking the client thought-provoking questions. But the big difference is the context of the relationship. Why did the person come to see you? Are they depressed? Are they anxious? Are they having psychological problems, or do they just need some help redesigning their life? Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that distinction started helping people see, you know, I don't really need to see a therapist. I just just need help with, you know, finding my North Star again Mm -hmm. or, or getting over my mediocrity. And I think a lot of people saw therapists because they felt they had to use their health insurance and they made up a diagnosis and off life went. Yeah, I, I know that's specific yeah. when it comes to diagnoses because you give a provisional diagnosis, or in other words, a diagnosis when you first meet them of a mood not otherwise specified because <laughs> you don't know what to do because then it's like, okay, well, they don't really fit. I mean, not that I do that, but I, when I would train people, that's what they would do. And I was like, well, we yeah. can't really do that because it's not really ethical. But that's often what they would do because it, they didn't really fit into a um, into a, a billable diagnosis and you can't, you know, without getting too technical, there's some things you can say what they have, but insurance doesn't pay for that. So I, I that's really, the big difference yeah. because we don't want coaching to become medical. It's mm-hmm. not true. Uh, coaching is more of a partnership with the client than it is doctor patient. Yeah. Uh, it's more working on what the client wants and bringing out genius that they didn't know they had or ideas that they didn't know they had with the help of a coaching conversation. Excellent. And obviously that really resonated with you because to go from a clinical psychologist for so long and then yes. to change that up and to do this and then found it. I mean, I think that's, that's really bespeaks to your own passion, which is absolutely wonderful. Mm. Yeah. So this new book, Getting Naked, I'm being emotionally transparent at the right time, the right place with the right person. One right. thing I really like for people to understand is make sure we're all on the same page with what those words mean, because that is a very powerful a title, but it also has so much meaning and it's very impactful. So we definitely want to make sure that we're all in the same place. The getting naked part, help us understand what, what you mean specifically by that and all the different elements of that. Yeah. Well, obviously I felt that would be catchy, but mm-hmm. I also think, I also think the metaphor is when people reveal themselves in a vulnerable way and they have to be so courageous to tell their truth to somebody, it's like, it's like being naked in public, you know, mm-hmm. which is one of the eight most common dream themes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's embarrassing. It's like you want, you, I mean, people shouldn't get physically naked everywhere any more than they should be emotionally naked everywhere. So in my years of being a helper, as it were, mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of people shared too much with the wrong people. And some people didn't share enough and it ate away at them and festered over the years. So the metaphor for me was find a person or two or three. That's all you need. 
that you can really share your deep stuff with, both the good and the bad, both what's hidden in the shadows that you might be ashamed of or guilty of, and then what also is hidden in there that you've given up on, a dream that you had that nobody paid attention to. So it's it's being able to share your truth and not have somebody have to fix you. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. When I was reading this topic, I actually thought more about not telling enough, which obviously bespeaks to my own, I guess, sense of self. But it was interesting yeah. when you say the whole aspect of share too much. And and I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. You know, I work with a lot of clients who sometimes struggle with sharing too much. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the mm-hmm. you're in the checkout line of the grocery store, and all of a sudden you turn around. Next thing you know, the person behind you has told their whole life story, and <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh goodness. So I'm really glad to hear that it obviously does both sides of the coin because yeah, some people yeah. can unfortunately overshare too much, and then when the person doesn't respond the way they want them to, then they shut down and they feel like they've just uh, they feel embarrassed, they feel overly mm-hmm. vulnerable. So yeah, there is that duality. So it's it's really good to hear that obviously this book covers both. sides sides of that. Right. Right. I mean, you, you have to be vulnerable to be naked, but mm-hmm. if you're vulnerable with somebody that's going to be hurtful or mistrustful, then you're going to be, you're going to go back into hiding, yeah. you know? And I guess my overarching theme is we can't be totally whole. We can't be totally ourselves if we're denying a part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of the quotes I have in my book is from, um, is from Emerson. You know, you might as well be yourself because everyone else is already taken. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Yeah. I like that. That is very profound. Yeah. You know, the three components of that as well, when you look at those three factors or variables, rather, the right time, right place, right person, you know, some, sometimes people only have two out of the three. And yes. then once again, there's that disconnect. So I really like that you use those those three factors or those three components to kind of create that the perfect storm, if you will, that's probably not the right terminology, but create mm-hmm. that perfect opportunity rather for someone to really be able to have this, um, this acceptance, this ability to just thrive, even if it's just for a few minutes, but to be able to fully have that awakening within themselves. And, and I think right. that's very, very important because often we have the wrong time. You know, if there's a right time, there's a wrong time. And uh-huh. I think sometimes people forget about that. So, you know, if I want to tell someone something on a personal note and they're not really in the mind space to hear that, well, it's the wrong time. And so sometimes we can set ourselves up for that by trying to be transparent and vulnerable. But like you said, if, if it's the wrong time, then it's the wrong time. So it's not only just situationally the wrong time, but also just maybe the wrong time in, in that part of your life in that moment to maybe divulge certain things if you haven't truly understood it within yourself. Yeah, I like that you said uh, storm, when you, when, like these things are a perfect storm and they're not a storm, they're a perfect opportunity. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you think about what it is, it's safe harbor. Yeah. So that's safe harbor from the storm in your life or from the impending storm. Oh, I like that. You know, I mean, that's what it is. Where can you feel safe and secure to be naked just like a person is physically naked? Maybe the first time they skinny dipped or mm-hmm. got in a Japanese hot tub or uh-huh. uh, ran on a nude beach by themselves. You know, I mean, some people do that. Some people don't. Some people get naked in their bedroom with a light on. Some people get naked with a light off. Everybody's different. Sure. But um, emotional nakedness, I think, has some of the same fears. Yeah. One of the things that you talked about is the spirituality, the, the being spiritu- spiritually vulnerable. Help my listeners understand that because many people have a different connotation or different meaning of what spirituality means. And of course, that's going to cover many, the yeah, broad yeah. spectrum of that. But w- let's, let's say people, well, I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but one question I want to pose later is if someone perhaps has a different faith system or someone doesn't have a faith belief system, that would be something to really have to be able to navigate, which I guess goes back to that perfect time and place you wouldn't share with someone. But regardless, what would you, how would you really maximize that, the spirituality, vulnerability with that, with someone? 
Well, the view I have, and this doesn't doesn't mean to be religious, but people can mm-hmm. put it into their religious their religious interpretation. I, I go by Teilhard de Chardin's famous quote that we're not human beings having a spiritual experience; we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Ah, interesting reframe. And I and I really believe in life coaching that everybody has a unique purpose or two or three. Mm-hmm. That otherwise, we wouldn't be here, yeah. you know. And so I think it's that spirit, it's that inner self, it's that higher self, that that being within. Mm-hmm. So whether you get religious about that or just generally spirit spiritual, that's what we're looking for. Gotcha. The, the, the real you. The essence of who you are. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And one thing I really teach as well is when it comes to the spirituality, there, there is that part of us that, that can connect to the divine, but then that internal self of us, our own spirit, which is our intuition, which is that gut feeling, which is our, yes. our understanding of really uh, just helps us understand the world around us and how we fit into it in a way that's not logical per se or not tangible, which is our right. mind, our intellect versus our body. So that's really kind of the way I quantify it. So it sounds like we're pretty similar in, yes, in the, in the yes. context of that. Good. I think so. Yeah, that, that really that really does make sense. Another quote I had read was you talk about you can't really fully live an optimal life um, where if you can't have this emotional or spirituality vulnerability. And I think that's where it goes back to the learning how to be self-disclosed in a way that's yes. healthy. I yes. think that the, the context of what's healthy versus not healthy, that's, that's a kind of a fine line. And I it think is. everybody has that understanding of what is, what's healthy for them. You know, my life experiences and who I am may be slightly different in my health approach, healthy approach, than maybe someone else who has a, a different life experience. Very much so. But I think as people read this, and this is really for like you and I, therapists, coaches, but it's also for, for clients. So mm-hmm. It's not a typical self-help book necessarily, but for somebody who, who is becoming aware of their journey. And, oh, and, I, and I say to learn to live beyond mediocrity, yes. you know, not, not just to settle, but to to have your whole self be discovered means there's some things from somewhere that you've got buried in your in your treasure chest in your proverbial basement, <laughs> the shadow. And yeah. it doesn't mean everybody's got all this ugly stuff, but we've all got things that we wouldn't want everybody to know. Exactly. Um, and I think it holds us back. It's not like you have to do personal archaeology and dig them all up, but <laughs> if, if it's always right beneath the surface, if it sometimes holds you back, you need to get finished with it. In therapy, we call that, you know, unfinished business, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you get finished with that and then move on? Exactly. And I really like to hear that, you know, when you, these are obviously my words, when you look at the, uh, the assembly line of self-discovery, your book can pretty much fall along the whole, all aspects of that assembly line from people who may be more spiritually awakened or more awakened in general to the person who just is starting out that self-discovery. sounds like there are a lot of takeaways mm-hmm. uh, that people can really understand and grasp in a way that um, can, can really cover all masses that would read it. Well, there's a lot of personal stories from me and from former clients. I mean, the first chapter is a lot about my own personal journey and how I came to value self-disclosure. And then a chapter on becoming real, the Velveteen Rabbit principle, Mm -hmm. uh, Fifty Shades of Play, how to have fun (laughs) while seriously living, you know, Uh, things like that. Shadow in the workplace. I mean, nakedness in the workplace, nakedness in social media. What not to share? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> we know, could all uh, learn that. <laughs> no, we should like, all hey, learn that. Rather. It doesn't go away. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly true. You know, when I was when I was doing some research on on this particular episode, I was I was just thinking about the different aspects of you know things in my life of 
you, we, you talked about the shadow. So for some people who don't know what the shadow is, it's, it's pretty uh-huh. much the opposite side of maybe what, what we believe ourselves to be or how we present to people, that, that part of us that's kind of the darker side of us, if you will. Um, and so sometimes people don't really look at that and, and they don't really, I guess, don't really know what to do with that. You know, and the, the direction I'm going with this particular comment is, you know, when you think about different things you've done in your life, things that you're not happy about or things that you're ashamed of or things that you have guilt about, it's learning how to remove the guilt and the shame from that particular situation, but still sitting with that emotion of maybe embarrassment. And I think sometimes, you know, people really struggle with that because, you know, when I was thinking, looking at the thing with your, or reading up on yours, it talked about just that, that guilt and that shame and and really finding that personal discovery, that personal vulnerability. And I think so many times people struggle with emotions that are too great or too powerful because they don't know what to do with it. And often they just don't even look at it. So it's easier not to look at it as opposed to kind of splice it up and see Mm -hmm. what is what. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think if it's something that traumatizing, then you do need to see Mm -hmm. a a therapist or a a spiritual director or somebody that can really handle the tough stuff. Yeah. But but I've always been a master reframer. It's like, you know, some of this stuff, we make it worse than it is. I I use the analogy in my book of Peter Pan's shadow because you remember he came into the room, Wendy shut the window, his shadow stayed behind. So metaphorically, she had to sew it back on for him to be whole. And I, the shadow is just the part that doesn't have the light shined on it. Mm-hmm. So it may be deep, dark, scary stuff, but it may also be those dreams you've given up on or you, you put away that, oh, interesting. you know, so it's both the good and the bad or the positive and the challenging. I oh, like I really it, like that. I guess yeah. I was going more towards the Jungian approach of it or the anima, the anima, that type of thing. Well, no, but yeah, I really like is. this. It yeah, is. it is. But even Jung, you know, he, he even talked about the shadow is also the spiritual guidance of what we could be. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. How have you found that this book has helped a lot of its readers? Well, the reviews on Amazon and some of the comments I'm getting on my Facebook page is just, it's gratifying. I mean, it's only been out, let's see, September, since September. It'll be oh, an wow. audio It's going to be an audio book next month. Oh, so, great. Okay. So people that commute and work out and like to hear audio books, it'll be there. And we are actually recording this just from our listeners. Just, this is actually be recorded on Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's yeah, to all of cool. our listeners and to everybody. So yeah, so yeah. when they hear this, it'll go out in a few weeks from now. So hopefully by then, maybe it will be on the audio platform as well. Yeah, so nice. I start getting, I start getting re- comments from people about, oh, reading the book and, oh, this part really meant something. And I hope I get thousands of those, you know, it's, yes. it's pick, picking up steam now. So I'm happy about that. And I think that's a thing, I mean, to... to take your time and to craft a book and to write a book that you truly believe in it and you believe that what is in it is not just fluff or is not just hype, but when you intrinsically believe it and can kind of conceptualize it and put it together into a beautiful book itself and to hear how it's helping people transform their lives and really helping them to reframe their life and have this awakening and not live in that mediocrity, that must feel very rewarding and affirming to you. It, it is. And, and, and I might share a story about how Please the sir. book e- even came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I've written six other books, all professional books for coaching industry, right? And they did well and it was nice. And I, But I always wanted to write this one. And for 15 years, literally, I've been stuffing ideas in a cubby hole and in a box and, oh, that would be good in that book. And I never wrote it until I did a book proposal and got in a book club and blah, blah, blah. But where the idea came from, literally bubbled up clear back in 1974. I was getting my master's degree at 
West Georgia, University of West Georgia, and Sidney Girard, who was a famous psychologist, uh-huh. was guest lecturing. Wow. And he had written a book on um, man's self-disclosing and the power of self-disclosure and this and that. And I gave, gave him a copy of his book that I had, and I said, Professor Girard, would you sign this book? And he took it and signed it, beer pack, you know, good luck, and blah, 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 Sid, or, or Dr. Girard. And I said, you know, I always wanted to write a book. I hope I write one as good as this someday. He said, give me that book back. And then he signed it. And I've got this book on my shelf, by the way. Then he signed it. Dear Pat, if you never write your book, you have no one to blame but yourself. Oh, wow. (laughs) That sounds like him. (laughs) Yeah. But here's the rest of the story. The next day, he went back to Tallahassee, where he was a professor at the University of Florida. And he was working on his car. The jack slipped, fell on him, and killed him. Oh, my gosh. So then I knew I had to write that book someday. I mean, it was like it was in my... You know, it was in my under lock and key. I said, I'm not going to feel complete if I don't write this book. Wow. You know, I think that goes back to the, when we first started this, this interview, it was talking about we all have a purpose, we all have a plan, and there's a reason why we're here. You yes. know, looking at the multiple dualities of that or just multiple aspects of that, you know, I like to look mm-hmm. at my own life as like a jigsaw puzzle. Every piece links together to make the beautiful tapestry of my life, the beautiful picture right. of my life. <laughs> but not only that, but every everybody's puzzle is pretty much like a small puzzle piece that links the whole world together in so many beautiful ways. And so that was a wonderful gift. You know, part of his journey was uh, to offer that to you, even right. though, you know, it was such a profound moment. So, you know, he may have done that for many people, but for you, it really turned your life and really, um, it, it just, it had such a huge impression on your life. And here yes. we are years later and you're, you've written the book. And so even in talking about that, so I always love to, one of my things for myself is that goal of how can I just impact my environment? Nothing about me or I'm great or not great. It's just simply, what can I do to, to maybe have an impactful thing of just giving someone a smile? So having that awareness, that awakening, that everything we do is linked together in a broader spectrum of this world gives us kind of the, uh, the, just the excitement and joy of life of, you know, maybe my smile helped someone today or, you know, maybe right. um, the, the note that he wrote you, you know, like I said, he probably didn't know how impactful that would be for you. And, and just to hear years later that that was just such one of the, one of the key elements of your life. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You know, this just happened a month ago. His daughter or granddaughter wrote me and then saw somehow she got word of the paragraph of my book and she's compiling a memoir on her father. Oh, wow. And, and she said, can I interview you? And I, oh my God, see, he's still alive. Wow. That is amazing. <laughs> wow. What an honor. I mean, because he really was, for, for those of you who don't know who he is, he, he was a real pillar in our, in our community and in, in the psychological world, as far as yes. a lot of the things he discovered and, and discussed. And I remember in my, in my graduate and doctoral programs, we talked about all that and we'd see some of his interviews and how he worked. And it was, it's just phenomenal to hear that. I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, you know, a few more questions about your, about your book in general. What would you say overall is probably one of the hardest lessons that people struggle with, or maybe the hardest takeaways that they'll have to maybe, because as, as you said, you love, you're like the master reframer. One of the biggest takeaways or struggles that people have in the reframe of it. So maybe there's a key element in this book that people are like, gosh, that's, I have to really sit with that and really think about that for a while. Can you think of any particular element of your book? Well, you know, there's an exercise that I came up with that I call the six-step um, uh, process, and and I think that is helpful to people because it is a challenge. I mean, they have to do first of all. I say it's recall, 
Mm-hmm. So if you if you want to think of something that's buried in your past and it's been bugging you, think of something that with personal reflection and time. First of all, recall, remember a belief or experience that causes you to keep it hidden and then reflect, consider this memory, what happened, who was there, how did it affect you? Then reveal on paper, which means write in a journal, mm-hmm. your memories, thoughts, feelings, just free flow, everything about that. So far that's just with you. Then the next step, which is going to be harder for some is to reveal to another, Uh, make a big step. Who can you share this story with? Who can you trust will listen to you with suspended judgment and full acceptance? And if you can find that one or two people that can do that, and you may, you know, you may have to experiment to dip your feet water in the, your fingers in the water slowly. Uh, But then if you find that person, then the next two steps are what you do. You reboot to take a computer analogy, mm-hmm. after, after you've shared with a trusted other, imagine you're rebooting your memory, just like a computer. Let it be defragmented and safely put away, and then finally restart. Get back on your journey to your future starting now. You've now achieved, achieved a clean restart pertaining to this memory or story. Wow. So that's a step that I think can be used for the really tough ones. Yeah, know? I can see that. You know, I think, I think we, uh, we often struggle with you know, pretty much self-blackmail. You know, the yeah, fact is we have, we, yeah, we have all of this in our life that we don't want anybody to know. And, and we often tell ourselves, well, if I tell someone this, this is what they're going to think about me. Or if they knew this, they probably wouldn't like me or they would judge me. And some of that may be true, but the reality is it's really not. It's, we're causing ourselves to, to really blackmail ourselves to say, oh, I can't change or I can't tell anybody about this. And if we struggled with it for so long, we only have our own perspective on the situation. And of course, it's going to be dire because we don't have another way to look at it. We can't reframe it. So I think that exercise is going to be very, very powerful for my listeners and for the readers mm-hmm. who, take, who read your book because that part there, that, that releasing of that self-blackmail is one of the most intrinsic changes that someone can have in their life or experience in their life. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I like that word. So, Dr. Williams, if my listeners would like to find out more information about you and about this book and all your other books, where would they find your information online? Well, you know, I have a blog, and, and of course, you can read more about this at drpatwilliams.com, so drpatwilliams.com. I also am an expert blogger with Your Tango, yourtango.com, so they can find lots of blogs I've written there that are based on the book but are written with a more conversational style. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my Facebook you know, page, uh, they'll find a lot there. But I think the website will get where they start and then look at your tango. Excellent. And your book can be found on Amazon.com. And I know what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put your book, Getting Naked, I'm Being Emotionally Transparent, at the right time, the right place, with the right person. I'm going to put that on my storefront on Lifeology. So people can, if they're struggling to find it anyplace else, simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and you can find Great. the book there. And we'll link you straight to Amazon. Wonderful. Wonderful. And of course, it is an ebook and it'll be out in audio book, as we said. So Excellent. Well, Dr. Williams, thank you once again for your wonderful uh, topic about t- speaking about your book. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great conversation to have with you, and I'm confident that my listeners will have some great takeaways as well. Thank you very much. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with us today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today. Also, please visit my website where you may enroll in Lifeology Academy, read my published articles, and watch all my YouTube episodes I created just for you. If you'd like to become a show sponsor or become a guest, please visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.